I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Today's scripture comes from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. It was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went out and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and and offerings of of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to to each a cake of bread, a, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all of the people went back to their homes. David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants maids as as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. David said to Michal, 
It was before the Lord who, who chose me in place of your father and all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, that I have danced before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in my own eyes, but by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This, this is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks. Be to the Lord. I am the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I think I know what's best for you since I knit you together in your mother. Growing up, one of my mom's best friends, Sarah, was Jewish. And Sarah and her family would invite us over for Passover. Sarah had this, this daughter, her name was Charlotte, who was about six years older than me. And I thought Charlotte was so cool. She's so pretty. She was so interesting. Her stories and life experience and travels were just so mesmerizing. And so from an early age, she would go on these trips with her synagogue to Jerusalem, which eventually led her to apply to college and to get into college and go to college in, in Jerusalem as a religious studies major. And her Passover stories, I couldn't wait to go to Passover so that I could hear her stories of her experiences in college in Jerusalem, college abroad. Except I remember in, in 2001, things turned. And, and the tone at the Passover table was different. It was cold and anxious, and there was this nervousness at the table, evidence that there were many fretful conversations probably happening in their household that we were not privy to. A few months earlier, a close friend and classmate of Charlotte's this beautiful, smart, responsible 21-year-old 20, college student whose family was friends with their family stood on, on a broad sidewalk in, at an intersection leading out of the city of Jerusalem together with, with many others waiting for rides to the airport. And a suicide bomber ran right into the crowd and blew himself up. And so Sarah's family is in shock, was in shock by this. No wonder the tone had shifted at the table, right? No wonder. As they imagined Charlotte getting on a plane back to Jerusalem in just a, a few days. They were, they were in shock and they were, they were, they were terrified and bewildered by, by the distortion of, of humanity required to do such a thing. And, and, and they all were just alternating between 
being shook and fearful and, and that rage towards the attackers and those who sent them. Which brings us to the sixth commandment today in our, in our series, in the summer series on the Ten Commandments. You know which one it is? Thou shalt not commit murder. And out of all of the Ten Commandments, I have a feeling this that this one is the one we distance ourselves from the most. The reality is that few of us have ever experienced the murder of a close friend or family member, and even fewer of us have, have ever killed another human for any reason at all. For most of us, murder is this... This, this faraway thing, far more distant than, than lying or stealing. We don't think about it too seriously, right? And, and, and we generally live our lives more or less as if we and those we love are completely safe from it. And, and there's a reason for this, right? Unless we are directly involved in fighting crime, or defending our country, we are usually the beneficiaries of, the, of a vast societal apparatus geared at shielding us from murder. From, from intelligence, to the military, to law enforcement, to the courts, to the prisons. And, and we are, are coming to grips as a predominantly white church and society with our own privilege recognizing that not all are equally provided this vast apparatus that shields us from taking the sixth commandments seriously. But for us, murder is, is so distant to us that, that we have no problem being entertained by it. We, we watch scary or silly movies where heroes and villains spray and ricochet bullets into one another's bodies and, and TV dramas where investigators scour crime scenes and, and chase killers with, with, with wise-cracking sobriety. And we watch news broadcasts that, that cover murder trials and genocide in far-off places with the same kind of sing-song concern that they apply to sports and the weather. Indeed, the, the, the neutralization of murder as an immediate concern in our lives is probably the greatest success of our modern civilization in parentheses of privilege. But, but it comes at a price, right? Our, our numbness to the most hideous of evils allows us to live without fear. But it also lets us develop a, a whole range of political and cultural expressions where human life is belittled and demeaned and forgotten. The word murder should not just inspire horror movie fear or, or curiosity or rote outrage. As Christians, 
we should be revolted by it. But we've become creatures of detachment. God help us. Maybe our problem is that we don't value life enough. We may preach the wonders of scientific thought and civil rights, but life seems to have this this different value than reason and freedom do. But as Christians, if we don't believe in life with all our heart, with all of our heart, if we don't celebrate it and defend it with our being, if we allow our our own cleverness and sophistication to distract us from threats to the value of life, we have forsaken what it means to be Christian. Whether it is a jealous spouse who kills or a street shooter or, or, or a troubled teen who, who gets a hold of an AK-47 or a war criminal or a religious fanatic, the, the word murderer includes so wide a range of, of psychological and cultural antecedents, right? But, but they, they all share not their psychology or ideology, but, but they all share this absence of something to stop them in the moment. And that is a profound sense of the meaning and preciousness of life. A profound sense that is, that is more powerful than the will to kill. Basically, the the Sixth Commandment teaches us that where murder is reviled, there civilization begins. Where it is condoned or dismissed or overlooked or downplayed, there humanity is destroyed. The Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not murder, at its core is about about affirming human life as the cornerstone value of a society. But but what do we even mean by human life, right? Herein lies the biggest trouble with the sixth commandment, and that is that it's arbitrary. Because we don't understand life, we inevitably get caught up in a debate over it without any obvious way out. Do we include human embryos or not in this debate? Do we include animals or not in this debate? What about a terminal cancer patient easing the end of his life by, by refusing to take treatment? And, and when we, we go down these roads, we end up rendering the contours of life as cerebral, and assertive instead of, instead of intuitive. And we try to describe it without ever, ever understanding it. But if we can't understand it, we can't really make it a part of our inner moral sense, right? If, if we don't understand it, we don't We can't make it a part of that wisdom of the heart, as we talked about last week. The good news for us is that the ancient Israelites had not distanced themselves from this commandment as we have. They they understood it. 
They understood that you shall not murder is not the same as you shall not kill. They understood that you shall not murder implies something entirely different, an affirmation that human life is, is both body and spirit alive. They weren't asking questions of embryos or animals or the task of the soldier. They understood that, that the murderer is, is the ultimate anti-human, that, 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 that they are the one who undermines the Christian belief that human life is both body and spirit, the one who negates the, the pinnacle and purpose of creation. Which, which bring me, brings me to, to scripture today. Before we get to King David, journey with me again to, to the dawn of creation. The morning of, of the sixth day of creation started like any other. After, after spending most of his, his week making the sun and the moon and the stars and, and the waters and the land and the trees and the birds and the fish, God made cattle and beasts of the field. And in the past, God declared these things to be good. And then God, then God tried something new. God's final act of creation was to cre recreate God's self. And God said, let, let me make humankind in, in our image after our likeness and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the earth. And this is, this is pretty surprising, right? It's, it's scarcely elaborated on in, in the verses that follow. We hear about humankind appearing as both male and female and what they may have or may not have eaten, but, but very little about what, what human life was really made of. But in the second chapter of Genesis, we get another account of humankind. Because it returns to the subject of, of, of how the world was formed. Many scholars call it this second creation story. And yet this, it's clear that this chapter serves another purpose. It's different than the first creation story. So what, what's here? What is this for? It's in the second chapter that we learn what makes humankind unique. Hear this, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when, when they were created. And the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no plant of the field was yet of the earth, for the Lord had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a, a human to till the ground yet. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed humankind of the dust of the ground and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life and humans became a living soul. Here, creation is, is reduced to a single day rather than six suggesting that all existence is, uh, is of a single kind, willed into being by a single God. Yet this, 
this world is, is at first lifeless. And, and humanity is formed not as the end of creation, but as the beginning of it, without whom the living world has no hope. God takes the soil and fashions humankind, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life and transforming him from a purely material dust to a living soul. No mention is made of Adam having, having pre-existing or eternal existence. But his life spirit, the singular gift from God that makes him ready to enter the garden, sets him apart from all the rest of creation. And his, his body, this material reality, sets him apart from everything divine. The Hebrew Bible embraces the totality of, of the human, of body and spirit, the single unbreakable unity that contains in it both the culmination of creation and the likeness of God. Life is life from, from its lowest material origins to the height of moral and artistic achievement. To celebrate life is to celebrate ourselves as we really are, breathing and thinking and loving and redeeming things, redeeming beings. Which brings us finally to David and our scripture today. King David is, is the epitome of this redemptive spirit of life alive in all of us. Did you hear it this morning as it was read for us? David marches into Jerusalem, bringing with him the Ark of the Covenant from its exile among the Philistines. And, and, and as he does, he dances in his birthday suit through the streets. And as we know from our scripture today, McCall was not amused. This is one of those moments where the Old Testament bears itself to us like David bearing his body to us. David's undress reveals this ferocious love and this overwhelming redemptive spirit. You see, throughout the Bible, McCall is repeatedly referred to as the daughter of Saul. Over and over and over again, it's like the Bible insists on us remembering that Saul, her father, Israel's first king, failed precisely because he lacked the spiritual fire that burned in David's heart. In David's view, the, the return of the book of life to the capital city of the, the Israelites could not be marked without pomp and circumstance. It required that he show his people that the greatest moments of life are moments of the spirit which, which we play before the Lord, leaping about with all our might, maybe even naked. And McCall's punishment, as cruel as it sounds in this story, serves as this, this punchline of the story. David's dance was the ultimate affirmation of life, the celebration of the spirit through the bared body at, at the very moment when his people were being invested with the symbol of redemption, the task of bearing the Ten Commandments for all the world to come. 
And by denying all of this, McCall, she was denying life itself. So she's, she's punished with barrenness. It, it, it's hard to overemphasize how unbelievably different this is from the way people usually characterize the Old Testament, right? As this dry and grimacing book of the law. But for every moment of anger in the Bible, there is a moment of love. For every punishment, there is redemption. For every livid prophecy of doom, there is this prophetic song of hope. For every wise proverb, there is a psalm bursting with life. And what binds all of these together is not callousness, but, but an intensity of life that may thrive despite the possibilities of loneliness or thievery or murderousness or lies. Without this kind of affirmation of life, we would have little idea of what to do with God's words for us here in Deuteronomy. God says, see, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil and In that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, then you shall live. And the Lord your God shall bless you in the land into which you go. I call heaven and earth to witness this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that both you and all of life to follow may live. It's here in in this verse that we find all the key ingredients to God's affirmation of life represented in the sixth commandment. That that one, that, that life and death are synonymous with good and evil. Two, that when God describes the creation of the human on the sixth day and calls humanity very good instead of what God calls everything else is just good, that God means that humans, unlike animals, have life beyond life, the life of that redemptive spirit. And three, that that the affirmation of life means to walk in the ways of God, to, to, to imitate God's redemptive nature. This, this is the life the murderer takes away. This is what God is talking about. Every human being is this story, this redemption in the making, this divine fusion of flesh and spirit that has no parallel anywhere else in the universe. You, you are a story. You are redemption in the making. You are this divine fusion of flesh and spirit, and there is no parallel in all creation, in all the universe. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me today? God, thank you for life and life abundantly. Forgive us, God, for the ways that we have trivialized life, have have gotten so used to 
being protected from murder that we fail to realize how much we must abhor it. Call us, God, into this dance of body and spirit that that we have within us, that we are made for, that is the purpose of all creation, the pinnacle of creation. God, we long to be people who burst forth like David with life. And we pray together that prayer today that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite you now into a response to God by giving today, even of your money, giving to this God of life who who is constantly reproducing life in communities like this one.